Welcome to March On, the podcast where we talk the talk and walk the walk. Shit happens in life and in business. It's not all roses. Eventually, you will hit a wall and fall down, knocking the living daylights out of you. This podcast is not going to help you wallow in your broken pieces. This podcast will help you up, pull your socks up, put your shoes on, and march on. Life is about getting up with purpose, leading forward with courage, and stepping forward with faith. It's time to march on. And here's your host, Rob March. Welcome to March On, the podcast that discussed it's okay to be knocked down, but we also discussed that it's not okay to stay down. So it's time to get up with purpose, stand straight with courage, and step forward with faith. My name is Robert March. I grew up in a small town in Newfoundland called Meadows. Like many small towns, we had groups of friends that just hung out together, and we had families that were just close, and everybody helped each other get through it all. It wasn't until I was 15 years old things changed. On a sunny day, June 27, 1983, I was playing at the ball field with my friends, and I left to walk home that day. While I was walking home, I see my father was stopped at the mailbox. So I walked over, and he said to me, Robbie, I just said to your mother that I was going to pick you up at the ball field. I'm going up to Sharpest Farm to paint signs on a truck. Are you okay going with me? And me being me and him being him, and he was a lot of fun to hang around with. I said, I'm there. Yes, let's go. So we jumped aboard a truck, and on our way along, we, we talked about the three-wheel big red Honda he was going to buy. We talked about summer in general, and we talked about my marks. Oh, my marks. So in 1983, I was in grade 10. Level one, it was called, in the new credit system. And I had lost three credits, or three subjects that year. I failed my physics, failed my math, I failed my English. And my father, let's just say, was not very impressed with my overall academic achievement for that year. So he was encouraging me to get a summer job. In order to get a summer job, I had to visit the student manpower office, locally in Cornerbrook City, outside of where I lived. So as we were driving along, he kind of changed his mind and said, you know, there's not much sense for you to go up the Sharps Farm today. There's really not much work for you to do. It's a small job on the vehicle, and I won't be there very long. So why don't you go downtown and see if there's anything on the go student manpower for a summer job for you? So I said, yep, no problem. Are you going to drop me off? He said, yeah, I'll drop you off. But then I noticed behind me there was a, a vehicle, and his cousin was driving the vehicle. So I said, hey, why don't I just jump out and get in with her? We stopped to a place called Riverside Drive, and I, I said, see you later, Dad. And, you know, he never really ever said, like, see you later, I love you. But that day was different. He said, you know, see you later, Robbie. Love you. I remember saying I love you back. And it was just really weird. And I, I remember to this day, now I'm 53, that thinking, why did he say it like that? And what was on his mind? Actually, there was nothing on his mind. I guess, you know, he just had an inspiration to tell me he loved me that day. So I got in with Dad's cousin, and we drove on downtown. And she dropped me off at Student Manpower, and I did my business. My dad and I agreed that I'd meet him back at that rendezvous point where he dropped me off about four o'clock in the afternoon. So four o'clock came and I was back there, but no dad. Waiting there, I, I figured I'd hitchhike home. So I got aboard with a, a fellow that had a really cool car back then. And uh, he was a bit of a, a bit of a driver, let me say that. I mean, he peeled rubber around town. I mean, he was just a cool dude. We were driving home that day and I was thinking, come on now, like, give it to her, like, like give her some more speed. And he didn't. He stayed the speed limit all the way back to my hometown of Meadows. 
So he dropped me off at a stop sign to buy a road that goes into my house. And uh, my cousin was at dad's shop, which was built right behind the house. I could hear him screaming at me, Robbie, 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 come quick. And I, I remember thinking, why is he screaming like that? The tone of voice was just different, more of a panic in his voice than normally. Rod is his name, and Rod, Rod and my brother Daryl were very close, so we all hung around together, and uh, most of the time they were trying to get rid of me because I was younger than them. But anyway, I was stood there getting ready to walk over to the house, and um, another cousin of my dad stopped. He looked at me and said, uh, where you been? And I said, I was in Cornerbrook. He said, okay. He said, have you heard any news? And I said, no, I haven't heard any news. What's up? He said, Robbie, you better get in the car. Your father was in an accident. So as I got in the car, he said to me, he said, you know, your father was, was hit by the train at Sharp's Farm. And I said, no, that's not right. And I actually laughed at him. I said, no, that can't be because like I was just with dad, you know, a couple hours ago and there's just no way that he was an accident. He said, he said, Robbie, he said, you better get ready because I really don't know what's going on. So we drove on to Cornerbrook, which is about 13 miles away. And, um, and we rode to the hospital and I remember opening the door and walking in and my uncle grabbing me by the arm and saying, you know, there's no rush for this. And I said, you know, yeah, there is a bit of a rush because like, I want to see dad. And um, I opened up another room, a family room, and my mother and brother and sister were there. And uh, they were all upset. And uh, I remember looking at my mother and she said, Robbie, he's gone. I really didn't know what that meant at the time. He's gone? What do you, what do you mean he's gone? Robbie, your father was hit by the train and he had passed. I was like, oh, this is not real. This can't be real. I remember to the day as being so devastating and, and just shocking. You know, like I, I just stood there and mom reached out her arms and I went over and I hugged her and I remember her saying it's going to be okay. And, and I'm thinking, you know, here's a woman that just lost her husband and she's telling me it's going to be okay. I just couldn't wrap my head around that. It was after that that I noticed that a lot of people were, were around and People had gathered, dad's friends came over, and mom's friends, friends of the family were all close by for the next few days. But there was one man that wasn't present, and that was my uncle. And my uncle was traveling across the province camping that summer. And uh, so he was on vacation, so they'd been having a hard time trying to find him. And finally, they did locate him. And it was uh, three days later, we showed back up to where we lived. And I remember his camper in his truck coming up the driveway. So I walked out to my uncle and he looked at me and he said, is it true? And it was that moment that I realized that it was true. This has been three days later and I never really shed a tear up to that point. The funeral was the very next day and I remember going to the church and it was just crazy the amount of people. There were people everywhere. There were people in the church. Every extra chair in the church was full. Everything was just crazy. It was just too much. My sister was 10 years old. And she never seen dad in his casket. And it was just like saying goodbye to someone that was so important in my life was just unbearable. It was just crazy. It goes beyond words to even try to explain it. As the funeral really got going and, and we had preparing to bring my dad out front or up to the graveyard, I remember standing up in front of the casket or behind the casket rather with my mother, brother and sister. And we were walking right directly behind the casket. And I remember going out to the church stores and seeing all these people that were around. Oh, my heavens, like the people were, it was crazy. There was like the parking lot was full, right out to the road was full with people. It was more of a state funeral than just a regular man's funeral. And I realized then that my dad was not any regular man. He was well-known, well-liked. He put a lot of joy in people's lives. And I realize now to this day that that's really what I wanted to become.
And that's really what, what I was after was to be able to help people be more joyful. So right after that funeral, I remember going to the local hangout, the pool hall and the video hall that we, that we all hung out as kids. The business owner there, he had a flagpole in his yard and he had his flag flying at half mast, I guess, in respect to my father. So I remember seeing my friends there. They were all stood outside the pool hall. I walked up towards them and I noticed the flag was a half mast. And I went over to the flagpole and I, and I untied the, the rope and I, and I brought the flag to full mast. And I remember thinking, you know, I guess life got to go on. And this is really a hard thing to get through, but I'm sure I'm going to get through it. So there was nights after that that my mother never really made her grief anybody else's problem. I mean, I remember in the night times, late at night, after company had left, she just would sit in her room and, and I could hear her quietly weeping. And she was 38 years old at the time, and she had three small kids. My brother was 17, I was 15, and my sister was 10. So, I mean, in, in general, I mean, we were still very young, and my sister was still a child. Then, at that point, I started to realize that, you know, life is just so short. And being 15 years old and realizing that life is short is a bit of an impact on you. So, that fall, my brother went to work, and he worked locally at a, at a grocery store for about a year, and so he helped out a lot. We both go into woods cutting wood because we burn wood at the house as, a, as our primary source of heat. And so the things that my dad would do were, were all fell up on, on our shoulders now. So it was time to really man up and do what, what needed to be done as an adult in the house. So it was the next year that my brother decided to go off to school. So he went to a place called Bonavista, Newfoundland, and to do his small engine repair course. And so I was left home with my sister and my mother and that winter was typically really hard because, you know, now I had to cut the wood. I had to, you know, light the fire. I had to cook suppers. I had to do things that my mother typically did because she was now working outside of the home, which she never ever did. Uh, she was basically a homekeeper and a great primary mother. And now she was, you know, a, still a great mother, but now she was main income to the family. So it was... Lots of days, you know, when I'd take a chainsaw and go in the woods at, you know, 15 and a half years old, 16 years old, I realized that, you know, life just deals you blows that you just got to deal with. I realized that every day that I went in the woods, I had to, you know, get up with a purpose. And when I got up with a purpose, I could get through the day and I had my mindset would now be reset to what I had to take care of. But it also took a lot of courage. It also took a lot of courage to stand up straight and to carry yourself forward. And I seen that from my mother, because I seen her with her trying to deal with losing her husband. I seen how, how someone could be, actually be so resilient to the fact that, you know, they could just push forward and go on. So that was very impactful. And then I realized that it took a lot of faith and belief in yourself and others around you to, to get you through that. And I had a lot of faith and belief, and I got courage from a lot of my dad's friends they weren't like most friends because they were really close to my dad. My dad's closest friend was like a brother to him and he kept close to the family. And I mean, you kept checking in with me all the time. And I realized that people could help people. At 16 years old, I was getting all these life lessons that I didn't know was going to affect me, but it does affect me sitting in front of this microphone because it's those things that help you go forward. It's okay to be not okay, but it's not okay to stay that way. And I realized that I had to stand on my own feet and I had to reset my own mindset. 
when you wake up in the morning and you look in the mirror and you see the person that, that's getting ready to brush his teeth, what is it that we say to each other? What is it you say to yourself? You know, do you look in the mirror and say, oh my God, this is going to be a horrible day. Oh my God, I can't believe I got to deal with this. Oh my God, this is going to be a horrible day. Oh my God, it's raining outside. Oh my God, there's so much snow. You know what? It's only snow. It's only rain. You know, what, what's going on right now is you've got a terrible attitude. So it's time to kick your own ass and get up and go. Because it's that outlook that determines what your behavior is going to be for the rest of the day. Those behaviors is, is going to in turn give you your attitude. And that attitude is going to in turn give you your results at the end of the day. So your outlook plus your attitude plus your behaviors is going to give you your outcome. All right. So if you want to have a better outcome in the mornings when you wake up, have a better attitude. It's as simple as that. So our life was like most lives. You know, my mother was, you know, just doing the best she could. And my brother was now home and things was going pretty good. I met a girl. Uh, a few years later, we got married. And then all of a sudden in 1989, I mean, my dad got killed in 83, 1989, just a few short years after my dad got killed, my mother got diagnosed with breast cancer. I remember going in and visiting with her, and when the, the news came, we were like a very close-knit family, and we all sat down to get the news together. And the doctors had told my mother that she had breast cancer, but it was also in the lymph node system. And the outlook wasn't good. It just wasn't good. So, you know, there was a time limit, 18 months, two years, you know, within the lymph nodes. And I remember her looking at us after the doctor left and said, listen, we have another fight on our hands. Because I realized then that the fight that she had in her when dealing with my father's death was really a fight that she had to create. So in order to get through life, sometimes you gotta fight. You just gotta stand up, you just gotta go forward. Life is going to deal you stuff. You know, no one is really, really protected from shock and from bad news. We, we just gotta deal with it. We all deal with it different ways. And I mean, there's going to be a cycle. You've got to be depressed and shocked and, and, and upset. Yes, you have. But at some point, you just got to go forward. My mother, when she got that diagnosis, and she said, she looked at the three kids and she said, well, I guess it's time to pull our socks up. Now pull our socks up. What does that mean? Well, you know what? You know what it's like if you're walking, walking in the woods or you're running around and, and your socks are down. You know, you feel stifled around the ankles, right? So when you pull your socks up and, and you get them up nice and high, you know, you just feel better about what you're doing. So it's time to pull your socks up. So this show is all about marching on. This show is all about standing up with purpose, standing straight with courage, and stepping forward with faith. Because one thing my mother taught me was, listen, you got to have courage. you got to have faith. But you got to stand up. So in this show, we're going to have guests. Guests that haven't had it easy, has been struggling, and guests that made it. In my business life as a Sandler trainer, I've met lots of people that are impactful. And we're going to have people on here that does motivational speaking. We're going to have people on here that teaches business. We're going to have people on here that teaches communication skills. We're going to have people on here that teaches faith. And we're going to have people on here that the list just keeps going on and on and on. I guess what I'm asking you guys is to tune in on a regular basis and listen. But not only listen with your ears, listen with your heart. Find out if there's 
anything there that impacts you. And I'd love to hear from you. You can email me or land on my webpage and send me a message. And that'll be at the end of the show where you get those details. So I guess my mission of this show is to help you be okay. I mean, life is going to make you not okay every now and then. And it's okay to be not okay, but it's not okay to stay that way. This show is going to be for business people, CEOs, entrepreneurs, and everyday people that hopefully will get a little piece of this every time they listen. My goal is to help you get through. My goal is to help you stand up. My goal is to help you kick your own ass. I'm not going to be feathering anything or fluffing it up for you. We're going to be very honest and truthful on here. And time to time, you know what? There's going to be some language that, you know, is just passionate. Okay? So we got to be honest with each other here. So getting back to my life a little bit, happily married, things are going great, and then bang. Little did I know it, but my wife was having an affair. So she left me for another man. And I remember when that happened and the day after all that went down. And I remember taking three trips to the gun cabinet. I'm sorry, this is a little bit disturbing to talk about, but it's real. So I went down to the gun cabinet the first time and I took out a rifle and then I put it back in the gun cabinet. I locked the gun cabinet again. So I walked back upstairs in my own house. This was about 8.30 in the morning. I'd send the kids off to school and my wife wasn't living with me presently. On the second trip downstairs, I took the gun out of the gun cabinet again, the rifle, and I, I, I walked upstairs, half up the stairs with it, and I thought to myself, this is so silly, don't do this. So then I went back down to the gun cabinet, put the gun back in the gun cabinet, and, and locked the door again. I went upstairs, I sat down for a bit, I'm thinking, you know, my life is over, like, I, I don't really even know how I can, how I can go on, like, how, what about the embarrassment of all this stuff? You know, is it going to be something that I can deal with? You know, I'm a successful businessman. What are people going to think? What are people going to say? What am I going to hear? What are people going to tell me? And I just didn't want to deal with that at the time. So I, I, on the third trip, I took the gun out. I brought it upstairs. I put a single bullet in the bridge. I cocked the gun. I closed the bridge. I cocked the gun. And I put it in my mouth. I could taste the steel from the barrel. That uh, metallic taste and I start putting pressure on the trigger and then I don't know where I could hear don't do it did you want to leave and leave your kids the way that I did I swear to god it was my father's voice I put the rifle down still loaded still cocked I picked up myself when I called my brother and I said Daryl you have to come now he said what's wrong I said Daryl the gun is loaded sitting on the couch. He saw me there in 15 minutes. He left his work, he drove down, and he called me from just outside. He said, are you in the house? I said, yes. He said, come out on the patio, come out on your front step, and leave the gun where it is. So I went on the front step, and he came in, and he disarmed the gun, and he put it back in the gun cabinet. And we sat down. And he said, what do you want to do? I said, Daryl, we have to call the doctor, call our family doctor. So I called my family doctor and he got me in right away and I went up and sat down with him and he said, okay, Rob, he said, you really should talk to someone. So I said, okay, I'm all open for it. Tell me what I got to do. Well, he said, I, have, I know this therapist. He said, no, I'll give her a call. So he gave her a call and my guardian angel, my therapist, sat down with me that evening and I explained everything to her. 
uh, what happened. And then I said, why me? Why me? And I'll just refer to her as her first initial K. And I said, K, why me? And then after about 20 minutes of just answering her questions, when I was asking the question, why me? She reversed it on me and she said, Rob, why not you? <laughs> it was like, <laughs> why not me? Wow. Now I got to answer, why not me? I said, you know what? You're right. Why not me? Why do I feel that I have to be on such a pedestal that I'm untouchable? Why is it that we got to go through life thinking or taking for granted everything that's around us and not even give a care about what if something happens? It doesn't matter if something happens. God give us the tools to deal with it. God give us the ability to get up with purpose, stand up with courage, and step forward with faith. So that's what I had to do. I had to get up with purpose, stand up with courage, and step forward with faith. That's when I termed the name March on. I remember my mother, when she was diagnosed the third time with cancer. Yes, she has survived. Now she was going into her third bout. She looked at me and said, you know what? I can't stop this, but I'm sure as hell going to march on. And I thought to myself, you know what? I can't stop this, but I'm sure as hell going to march on. I'm not going to live in my own wallows. I'm not going to live in my own self-pity. I mean, there's times for self-pity. There's times for, for that stuff, but it's got to stop eventually. And the only thing that can stop it is actions. So in this podcast, we're going to be given tools. I mean, tools for action. And one of the tools that I came up with during my stay away from my, my wife, and we subsequently did divorce, and, uh, and I did meet a, a beautiful person, and I did get married three years ago. And I, I believe my life now is better than it ever was. It really is better than it ever was. My kids are great. Uh, my son is doing well. My daughter is doing amazing. And you know what? It's all because I never took anything for granted after I was 15 years old. So each week, I'm going to be going on air and doing a little bit of things for motivation and inspiration. Over the next few weeks, what we're going to be talking about is letting go. Letting go of 15 things in order to go forward. And I'm going to give one of those to you now. Closing doors. Sometimes we have to close doors. It's really hard to close them doors. You've often heard the expression, one door closes, another one opens. Well, I'm going to tell that to you a little bit different. One door closes, another one blows open. It blows wide open. All right? But in order to close doors, sometimes you have to let go of things that's around you. And sometimes it means friends. Yes, friends. Friends do hold you back sometimes. Sometimes you just got to let those guys go, let those people go. And it could even be family. I, I remember when I started my first business and people saying to me, well, that's stupid. Why would you want to do that? Why would you open an embroidery shop? I mean, really? An embroidery shop? So I had to close them doors All right, on those people. People are okay, but when they see that are, someone are, are more okay than them, what they try to do is pull you back and make you a little bit not okay. And when you're not okay, that makes them okay. I hope that makes sense, okay? <laughs> Sometimes in this podcast, I'll be doing monologues like this. And these monologues are going to be really, really upfront, all right? Because the old thing about Marichan is walk to walk and talk to talk. So if you're ready to walk to walk and talk to talk, this is the podcast for you. So subscribe to your favorite podcast subscription and get listening 
and walk the walk, talk to talk. Thank you for listening to March On with Rob March. You can find Rob on his website, robmarch.sandler.com. Make sure to check the show notes for all links and for our guest contact information. If you enjoyed today's episode, please share it with a friend.